This is the pastor's office with the pastor of the Northeast Baptist Church, Pastor Jonathan Mason. Come on in. Though the pressures of life seems to weigh you down, and you don't know which way to turn. God is concerned. And he's working it out for you. The child that's on cocaine. Through prayer he can change. That marriage. That's on the verge of breaking up. Although sometimes you have to walk alone. Billy's favor, listeners, this is the day that the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Can you tell? I just got out of the pulpit. Can you tell? I'm still filled with the spirit uh, because of what transpired in our sanctuary today. I'm just going to share this with you about uh, the message. The message today, the title was, God is going to do it again. I'm not even going to give you the text. I just need to testify right now that God is going to do it again. Do I have any believers out there in the audience today that can testify that if he did it for you before, if he blessed you once, if he's blessed you twice, then God will do it again. Oh, I'm ready to shout right now. If I didn't have a show going on, I'd preach to you right now. But let me get let me get back into the mode of radio host. We've got a great show for you today. We're going to talk about the current events going on and, and, and what's more current than our upcoming election. Uh, this is a time where we've got to make it out to the polls to make a difference in our country. And we've uh, stepped into the Congressional Black Caucus today, and we've got two great representatives uh, that are going to be speaking with us. First, we've got Congressman Hakeem Jeffries uh, from the 8th District of New York, chair of the Democratic Caucus. And then we're going to be talking to the legendary civil rights leader, representative of the 6th District of South Carolina, Mr. James Clyburn. So we're looking forward to a great conversation today. Uh, I want you to stay tuned. Don't you dare turn that dial. You stay right here at Philly's Favor, 100.7 or 99.5 HD3. Uh, Or if you're listening on our app, don't turn it off because you need to hear what these gentlemen have to say to you today. We'll be right back after these commercial messages. Billy's favorite listeners, welcome back to the pastor's office. I want to thank you for joining us today. Uh, We are super excited about our next guest. Uh, He is the representative of the 8th District of New York, which covers uh, parts of New York City, Brooklyn, and Queens. Uh, he is also the chair of the House Democratic Caucus, and, and I'm looking forward to an awesome conversation with him. Let's welcome into the pastor's office Congressman Hakeem Jeffries. Congressman, how are you today? 
I'm great. Pastor Mason, it's such a blessing to be able to be with you and to be on the pastor's office. Well, listen, we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. Clearly, uh, this is a busy time for you. Clearly, uh, there are some major events about to take place this coming Tuesday and actually taking place now. Uh, I think this morning I read that over 86 million Americans have already cast their vote. Uh, so I think we're on our way to a record-breaking uh, voter turnout on Tuesday. But before we get to the election, I, I want to jump right into this. How do we, once this election is over, get to a point where we never recreate or relive what we've just gone through for the last three and a half years. Let me give some context. We've got a president who did not release his tax returns. We've got a president uh, who has put his children uh, in major offices in the government. We've got a president uh, who, who has in his orbit uh, many members of cabinet and, and advisors who have gone uh, under investigation and some have gone to jail. We have a president in, 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 in all in all honesty and in all transparency who has pushed the boundaries of democracy and shown us democracy is nothing more than an experiment. How do we, going forward, make sure this never happens again? Well, I think it's going to be critical for us uh, to make sure that we don't have to go down this terrible path ever again with a president who has presided over the most corrupt administration in American history, who's consistently undermined the rule of law, who's told more than 20,000 lies during the course of his presidency, uh, and whose response to the COVID-19 pandemic has been an unmitigated disaster. And Pastor, those are just the highlights. Uh, and so it's going to be incredibly important uh, for us to make sure that we participate and vote like our life depends on it, because as we've seen over the last four years, our quality of life absolutely depends on it. And I think there's a tendency, understandable in human nature, to get complacent. Uh, and with the election of Barack Obama, both in 2008 and then his reelection in 2012, I think some degree of complacency set in that we were on a better course in America. But the history of our journey, particularly as African-Americans here in this country, has taught us uh, that whenever you make progress, there's always a backlash. And that Donald Trump in many ways represents the backlash to the progress of Barack Obama's election. Uh, and so we have to proceed with sustained energy, engagement, and intensity so as to prevent something like this from ever happening again. But, Congressman, sad to say, does it really mean, though, that uh, in the next session of Congress or, or over the next couple of years that we may have to put in writing, uh, put into law certain things to prevent another president from taking advantage of the system the way he has? His, his corporation has made millions of dollars uh, uh, basically on the backs of the American people, off of the taxpayer. Uh, I, you know, you're, you're, a cor you're a corporate lawyer by trade. Are there some laws that we're going to have to put in place to prevent this going forward? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And we've already begun to take a look at that uh, in the House of Representatives because there were a set of norms that previous presidents would never cross, but that weren't necessarily embedded into law that this president has consistently flouted. And he's effectively 
utilize the presidential immunity that he has as being free from prosecution, you know, consistent with Supreme Court precedent that while uh, a sitting president is in office, she or he can't be indicted. And he's taking advantage of that dynamic uh, and engaged in all manner of unscrupulous activity. Uh, but he will have to pay the piper at some point because that immunity runs out as soon as the American people uh, refuse to renew his four-year employment contract, uh, which I think is going to happen if we all do what we need to do over the next couple of days and on November 3rd. But moving beyond that to your question, Pastor Mason, we are going to have to put into place laws uh, that make conflicts of interest unlawful that make, you know, the sort of um, cronyism that we've seen with his children unlawful, that make the ability to promote your outside businesses, using the Oval Office to do so unlawful. All of these things were lines that almost every single president in the history of the republic would have never crossed. But, you know, this president's behavior makes Richard Nixon look like a choir boy. And in the same way that there were post-Watergate reforms that Congress needed to put into place, we're going to have post-Trump reforms that Congress will need to put into place to prevent this from happening again. Well, well, any, well, well the pre, do you believe that the president or any of his minions, as I like to call them, will any of them be held accountable? Uh, let's say the public does what, in our opinions, they need to do this coming Tuesday. Do you think they're going to be held accountable for some of these crimes? And they are crimes that have been committed over these last three and a half, almost four years. Yeah, you know, Joe Biden, I think, has appropriately said that his objective is to make sure that he wins. And then if he wins and he's the president and Kamala Harris is the vice president and he has the opportunity to appoint a new cabinet, including uh, the attorney general of the United States of America, that he would expect that attorney general to do the best job that they could and look at everything without politics coloring a decision one way or the other. And just to follow the facts, apply the law, be guided by the Constitution. And I think that by all accounts, if you have an investigation that takes place that's impartial, not the kind of whitewash that we've seen from this current Attorney General Bill Barr, but if you have a thorough investigation, crimes will be uncovered and presumably the judicial process will take place, resulting in accountability. Let's talk about voter enthusiasm. Uh, the president has, I believe, 17 more stops uh, on his tour uh, before Tuesday. And, and if I look at uh, uh, Vice President Biden and Senator Harris, uh, they, too, uh, have a robust agenda over the next uh, couple of days. Uh, we cannot in any way ignore the fact that he does have thousands of people showing up to these super spreader events uh, and they look motivated. Uh, what's your perspective right now on voter turnout? Uh, do we have the same momentum, enthusiasm, and energy uh, as you look across the spectrum to really be able to make this a decisive victory? Yes, and I think that's a key uh, phrase that you use, decisive victory, because the president if he can, we'll try to steal the election, cloud the results, particularly if it's close and there's uncertainty. I'm on the ground, you know, here in Philadelphia and we'll be in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania this weekend trying to work as hard as I can 
uh, to help make sure there is a decisive turnout. Uh, we do see energy on the other side for, you know, President Trump. He's got his fan base. Some, including Republican Senator Bob Corker, have called it a cult. That's not little low Hakeem Jeffries from Brooklyn's word. That's Republican conservative former Senator Bob Corker's word. Uh, but whether it's a fan base or a cult, there is a lot of motivation on the other side, which means that we've got to make sure that we continue to turn out. And as you referenced, we're seeing record-breaking turnout. I think more than 100 million Americans will likely have voted before uh, Tuesday when it's all said and done, which will be incredible. And then we'll see uh, a surge in turnout. What 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 Donald Trump and the Republicans are counting on is that they will overwhelm Team Biden on Election Day. Uh, and so we can't take anything for granted. I believe that the coalition of conscience, people of goodwill, communities of color, young people, millennials, uh, Generation Z, uh, suburban college-educated women, college-educated white voters, uh, and people of goodwill, whether you're found in urban America, suburban America, rural America, small-town America, who said enough, we've got to bring this country together, have competent, decisive, authentic, compassionate leadership. If we turn out, there will be a decisive victory. If we get complacent, then we can see the same thing happening in 2020 that happened in 2016. I was watching a video here uh, this morning uh, as I was on my way uh, to the office, uh, and it was a video of a gentleman, uh, I believe he was either in Virginia or West Virginia, who is actively preparing congressmen for civil war. Uh, he's actively preparing by uh, arming vehicles. He's got a stockpile of weapons. He's got, uh, he's got ammunition that he's offering out to others that may want to participate in this, in his opinion, upcoming civil war. Uh, I, I'm very concerned about voter intimidation at these polls, but then I'm also concerned about the reaction of this Trump cult if, in fact, this decision, or if, if in fact this victory is, or if in fact the results of this election are in any way close. Yeah, no, I think that's a real concern, Pastor. And the FBI has in fact indicated that they're anticipating uh, that there will be unrest and are preparing for it. And what we've seen is that the unrest is likely to come, you know, from the white supremacist groups, from the Proud Boys, the Boogaloo Boys, the Out of Control Boys, whatever they're called, uh, because Donald Trump has been fanning the flames of hatred since before he arrived at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, and he's poured gas on the fire over the last four years. And so, you know, he may unleash a conflagration, and we've got to be prepared for that. I know law enforcement, Department of Homeland Security, uh, the professionals, not the political people, you know, are working as hard as they can to unravel um, and identify some of these plots that are taking place. They've been very clear that right-wing domestic terrorism is the biggest threat in terms of unrest in our country. You never hear Trump talking about that because he is fanning the flames of it. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that the responsible people of America understand how ingrained the peaceful transition of power is into the DNA 
uh, of this country, uh, and they will help facilitate it. Whether Donald Trump behaves responsibly or not, you know, will be an afterthought, hopefully, once this decisive uh, loss is delivered to him on November 3rd. So, so let's 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 talk about the American people real quick, and 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 the impact of the coronavirus uh, on the lives of the American people. Uh, clearly, we were not able to get a, another stimulus package passed through the House, the Senate, and signed by the White House before Mitch McConnell uh, uh, recessed the Senate. Uh, there are a lot of people out there hurting right now. Uh, a lot of businesses closing down. Uh, my son, as a matter of fact, was attending. School. They just shut his school down on Friday uh, because of three positive tests. Uh, The recovery of the American public uh, after this election, I'm sure, is going to be a priority uh, for the next Congress that comes in. Uh, How do we begin to heal? How do we begin to recover in a Biden administration? Yeah, as Joe Biden has indicated, we have to build back, but build back better. We can't go back uh, to the old normal because the old normal was problematic particularly for the black community uh and communities of color immigrant communities and indian country across uh the nation we know uh that african americans have been disproportionately hit hard in terms of pain and suffering and death and economic trauma connected to the covid 19 pandemic for a wide variety of reasons because you know we have been suffering from health care disparities and a poor infrastructure that was in place in many of our communities. We are disproportionately overrepresented in terms of frontline workers and the heroes who've been helping to get America through this crisis. And we've got to make sure that we respond decisively uh, in the new Congress. Within the first 100 days, I would anticipate that a major COVID-19 package will be the top priority of the Biden-Harris administration, and it will be designed to do three things. One, crush the virus and ensure that when the vaccine is available, hopefully sooner rather than later, it's distributed in an effective, efficient, and equitable fashion, reaches the communities that have been hit the hardest, not just the wealthy, the well-off, and the well-connected. That's number one, crush the virus. Number two, we want to provide direct relief to everyday Americans who have been struggling and hit hard by the virus, another round of direct stimulus payments. We want to provide uh, expanded and enhanced emergency uninsurance benefits and renew that $600 per week that the Republicans allowed to lapse a few months ago. We want to provide direct assistance to tenants and homeowners who are struggling to pay their rent and their mortgage. And we want to make sure that we're meeting the food security needs of the American people as hunger lines uh, or food lines explode and hunger explodes all across uh, the country. So we want to provide direct relief to the American people as a second pillar. And as a final pillar, we want to stimulate the economy to get it back on track uh, because Donald Trump inherited a great economy from Barack Obama. And because of his failed response to the COVID-19 pandemic, he's blown it all. And that's what he's done throughout his whole life. He's inherited things from his father or others and blown it, gone bankrupt. And now he's driving America toward bankruptcy because of his incompetence. So we're going to act decisively uh, and we're going to act immediately as soon as we get this new administration in place. 
do you do you think do you think though we have the luxury? I know we talked about the next Congress coming in, uh, but as you just said, we in some ways have a petulant child in office. Uh, if this if this victory is decisive on the Biden side, uh, does do, do do we end up? Uh, enduring a crash and burn uh, technique in the White House? is it, what, what does he do during his lame duck period? Does that concern you at all? It absolutely concerns me uh, because, as you've indicated, he is a, a petulant child, and he's likely to be that type of person who, when we used to play ball uh, in the playground and a call didn't go this person's way, uh, they'd take the ball and they'd run off the court. And I think that if the American people, or should I say when the American people deliver a decisive defeat to him, he will take that as the rejection, which he should. Uh, but instead of being a man about it, being a leader in the way that others who have lost, whether that was Jimmy Carter or you know George H.W. Bush lost after a first term, they participated in the peaceful transition of power and facilitated the continuation of our democracy, he's likely to want to take his ball and run off the court. Now, I think we're going to try to reach an agreement with him, the Trump administration, and the Senate Republicans over the next few weeks, because responding decisively to the COVID-19 pandemic is not a Democratic problem or Republican problem. It's an American problem, and we should all rise to the occasion and meet it. That will be our intention. Hopefully, we'll have a partner willing to do it, even in the lame duck session. The only thing that gives us hope, Pastor, is that if the stock market continues to go in the opposite direction, which is one of the only things he cares about, along with himself, his family, and his golf game, if the stock market continues to go in the other direction, he may be incentivized because he thinks his own financial interests are at stake because Wall Street's sending him a message that we need to provide relief because things are falling apart. Uh, but we're going to work as hard as we can to see if we can achieve an agreement. Congressman Hakeem Jeffries, representative of the 8th District of New York, House Democratic Chair. Man, I want to thank you for coming into the pastor's office this week. I want to thank you for being on the ground, uh, pushing to get the vote out and making sure that we show up and show out uh, like our lives are on the line. Uh, before you leave our Phillies favor listeners, most of whom are black uh, uh, citizens of the city of Philadelphia, just tell them one more time why it's so important for them to be at the polls this coming Tuesday. Well, thank you, Pastor, for having me on. It's been great to be in the pastor's corner, you know, and we walk by faith, not by sight. I don't believe uh, that he's brought us this far to leave us. Uh, and so we know uh, that at the end of the day, even if we got challenges with whoever's sitting at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, God is still on the throne. But yet we have to do our part here on earth until our traveling days are done. And that means vote and vote like our life depends on it, because as we have seen, our quality of life absolutely depends on it. We can take nothing for granted, as we saw in 2016. Bad things can happen when we stay home. If we turn out, if we show up and show out, uh, then brighter days are ahead after November 3rd. God bless you, my brother. Thank you again for coming into the pastor's office and keep on standing up for the American people. Have a good one. 
Thank you so much, Pastor. God bless you. All right. Hey, Philly's favorite listeners, it's Pastor Jonathan Mason back in the pastor's office this week, and we are so excited to have you with us. Can I just say something to you? Tuesday is fast approaching. Uh, I am so excited by what I've seen over the last week, two weeks. You are making your way to the polls. But as we've shared with you over these last several weeks, we've got to make sure that not only do we make it to the polls, but that everybody that we're in contact with that's of voting age makes it to the polls. And as part of that, I want to share with you that Philly's Favor will be out at several polling locations on Tuesday. We're going to be bringing out coffee. We're going to be bringing out hot chocolate. We're going to be bringing out some pastries and different food items so that we can help you get through your voting journey. The lines may be long. You may be there for a while, but your friends at Philly's Favor are going to be there, and I look forward to meeting some of you uh, this coming Tuesday as we hit several of the polling locations in the Philadelphia area. But I am so excited. I'm so excited right now to welcome into the pastor's office uh, 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 someone that has blazed a trail uh, uh, for folks like me uh, and, and, and someone who has stood up for our rights uh, and made it known that we're not to be overlooked. Uh, I want to welcome into the pastor's office this Sunday afternoon uh, from South Carolina, representing the 6th District, Rep. Congressman Jim Clyburn. Congressman, how are you, sir? I'm very good. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I want to thank you for joining us in the pastor's office this week, and I want to get right to it because I know you're busy. Uh, You know what? Uh, Things weren't looking good for Vice President Biden uh, before the South Carolina primary. As a matter of fact, uh, there there were a lot of calls for him to potentially drop out of the race, Uh, but it was always a focus on getting to South Carolina. And not Not only was there a focus on getting to South Carolina, but there was a focus on who you would endorse. And I'm curious as to how you came to the decision uh, to endorse Senator Biden uh, over Bernie Sanders. Uh, And and at the end of it all, the end result was it it definitely turned the campaign into Joe Biden's favor. How did you come to that conclusion? Well, thank you very much for having me, Pastor. Well, uh, it was not uh, a hard decision for me to make. I've known Joe for a long, long time. Uh, As you probably know, Delaware and South Carolina are sort of sister states in that we were two uh, of the uh, four states uh, that were part, uh, that's four states plus the District of Columbia, uh, were part of Brown v. Buddha education decision back in 1954. And Joe and I spent a lot of time talking about all of the issues surrounding uh, that Supreme Court decision and what our states uh, meant before it and what we were doing to try to get our states uh, in a better place afterwards. And Joe spends uh, most of his free time when he's not in Delaware, it's in South Carolina. Uh, so I got to know him very well. My wife is a big fan of his. And as you probably know, my wife passed away uh, back uh, September last year yeah. uh, and didn't get a chance to vote uh, for Joe Biden. But I knew uh, that's who she wanted to vote for. Uh, so it was not hard. Uh, what I kept trying to do, though, was figure out exactly how to do it and when to do it uh, so that it could be 
the most impactful. So I did it the way I did and when I did because I really was trying to create a surge. I knew, uh, having lost three before he came to South Carolina, that not only uh, has, did he need to win South Carolina, but he needed to do it convincingly in order to have the impact on Super Tuesday that we wanted to have. So that's why I did it, when I did it, and the way I did it. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. In this instance, it worked very well. I, I, I would think it worked perfectly, Congressman, because it, <laughs> it cleared the way for him to move right into the general election. Uh, and and that, that, that leads me to ask you a question as we talk about South Carolina, because clearly South Carolina is in the news right now. There are, there are a few states... Uh, where it looks like we have an opportunity, I say we because I am a proud Democrat, uh, to take over the Senate. Your state is one of them. Uh, and one of your mentees, Jamie Harrison, is in the race against Lindsey Graham. Uh, I call him flip-flopping Lindsey. Uh, but, uh, but what do we, what, 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 what's the outlook, what's the forecast? I know you've gone on record for Jamie, and, and I'll tell you this much, every time I get a text message to donate, I donate more money. Uh, to his campaign, because I want to see that seat taken. Uh, how's it looking down there for him right now? It looks good. It's all about turnout. Uh, Jamie is running very well in the polls. All of the experts have now called it, are now called it a toss-up. Uh, when they first started polling this, they had Jamie at 17 points down. Uh, the last poll I uh, saw uh, had him at, well, two had him two up, and one has him uh, six down. So I have no idea exactly where he stands, but I'm going along with the two up. Right. Uh, and hopefully uh, that will be uh, the result uh, on Tuesday. But let me say this about Jamie. He came into my life when he was in 11th grade, and I have uh, made him a part of my life uh, ever since. Jamie is already a winner. What we've got to do now is hope that he can get elected to the Senate. But he has demonstrated to young people throughout South Carolina and across the nation uh, how to get involved in politics, how to lay the foundation for a campaign, and how to run a campaign. He has so many young people involved in his campaign. They didn't come in here just for, the can uh, for this, his candidacy. Jamie has been working with them for the last six years. For four of those years, he was chair of the South Carolina Democratic Party. And Jamie put together a fellowship, getting young people involved in politics when there was no campaign going on. They spent their time together in classrooms and in auditoriums all around South Carolina, learning the state, getting to know each other. And when they were thrown into this campaign, they worked like a machine because they had learned how to fundraise, they learned how to organize, and that's why he's doing so well, because he laid the foundation. So many times, especially young people, they see something on television, they jump into uh, politics uh, just because it looks like something to do. That wasn't Jamie. He planned well, he laid the foundation, and that's why he's doing so well. I tell people all the time about myself, they ask me, what made you get involved in politics? That's how I grew into it. I didn't wake up mad about anything. I knew since I was eight or nine years old exactly what I wanted to do in life, and I've spent my time learning South Carolina, learning the political process, and I've worked as hard as I possibly can. So this whole thing of just 
uh, reacting to stuff on emotions. Jimmy didn't do it. He did it the way he should do it. And I hope this is going to be a textbook uh, for him to uh, write so show people how to do it. Well, we're, we're, we're certainly waiting with great anticipation. But let's dig into some of the current events that are going on right now, Congressman, uh, while we have sure. your time. Uh, we, we know that uh, Congress did not pass another stimulus package uh, prior to the election. Uh, I'm very concerned about small businesses across this country. Uh, we've lost one in six uh, in, in, in just the last eight months. And if there's no stimulus to come forward in the near term, uh, uh, that one in six is going to turn into a much higher number. Uh, how do we get Congress and the Senate and the White House to come together to provide much-needed help for the American population who had nothing to do with the spread of this virus? You are absolutely right. That is the correct question, and I can answer it this way. We'll know exactly what we need to do in three days. When the polls close on Tuesday night, we will get a verdict. Uh, on who the next president will be. And I can tell you, uh, if the next president is going to be Joe Biden, we will have a stimulus bill passed within not the first 100 days, uh, but we'll do it quicker than we did uh, with the stimulus bill when he and Obama took office. If you remember, when the, the Obama came into the presidency in 2009, our economy was losing 700,000 jobs a month. That's how many we were losing. And they turned that around. And when they left office, the economy was growing. Uh, and Trump took over a growing economy. And he's driven that economy into the ditch. And here he is now talking about the new numbers that came out in the last several days. The new numbers came out to show a significant growth, around, uh, what, 7% growth or 4% growth. Whatever that growth, I think it was seven percent growth, but we had a nine percent loss in the quarter before. Right. So if I, if you, if I give you, take away ninety dollars from you, and give you seventy dollars back, what have I done for you? I've still left you uh, short. Uh, uh, $20. We, we're still in the negative, and, and I was looking at the gross domestic product. I mean, he's he's taking a victory lap relative to the gross domestic product, and yes, it did increase at an annual rate of 33.1%, but we've got to look at where it's, where, where, how far it dipped, and that's not, and he's not talking about that, and it just blows my mind, Congressman, that the people that support him don't dig below the surface level to see that the things that he's saying don't make sense. They're lies. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, um, it, it, we on the economy right now, but you know, the fact of the matter, he lies about everything. Uh, the Washington Post has documented almost 50,000 lies that he told in office. So I don't know why we can look and see the headlines about how many lies he told, then all of a sudden he says one little thing about the economy or one little thing about HBCUs, which is not true. And then we assume that to be true. Right. He's not going to tell the truth about anything. No, no, but it just amazes me 
how his supporters will overlook that. Uh, and you, meant, you mentioned uh, you mentioned the economy. You mentioned HBCUs. I think we're both proud graduates uh, of of, uh, of 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 HCU HBCUs. Um, but it's amazing to me that he would tell somebody that he's the greatest thing that happened to black people since Abraham Lincoln. Uh, if you really know your history, you know Abraham Lincoln wasn't the greatest thing that happened to black people. Uh, but it's just it's just it's just an interesting time. I'm very concerned, though, Congressman, about the vote. Uh, I'm very concerned about the slowness of the mail. Uh, I've seen a number of advertisements now from different politicians and from different uh, talking, uh, from different pundits that say, if you haven't dropped your ballot in the mail by now, you have to go physically to the polls. Let's talk a little bit about about mail-in versus going to the polls. Uh, Would you agree that people need to actually physically get there now? Absolutely, and I've been advocating that uh, from the very beginning. I voted uh, on the 5th of October. That's the day that early voting started in South Carolina. I went on TV that day, and I said to everybody, I voted today in person, and I call upon everybody to vote early in person because I do not trust that the mail will efficiently and effectively get your ballot in on time because I knew what suppression efforts were taking place. All that's happened to the post office, this president is intentionally subverting uh, the post office's ability to deliver the mail. Uh, And what's so egregious about that is that the post office exists for other things outside uh, of delivering uh, ballots. They deliver people's pharmaceuticals. They deliver people's retirement checks, their social security checks. And if you subvert their ability to deliver ballots, you're also subverting their ability to keep people alive and their quality of life uh, well. That is what's so egregious about this. This president is so self-centered that everything has to exist for his convenience. And it's convenient for him to get reelected. So he's subverting the entire postal service uh, in an effort uh, to get reelected. And I want to say this about this, because people keep talking about uh, the post office losing money. The post office was not created to make money. That's right. And then anybody tells me, well, we need to run government the way we run the business. No. Governments run to give service. That's right. Businesses run for a profit. We ought not be profiting off the government. When you start profiting off the government, somebody needs to go uh, go to jail. The government here, we're here to serve. That's why they call it the postal service. It is a service institution. They ought to be a service to the American people. And whatever costs are incurred, that cost is shared by the American people. So this whole notion of comparing the post office to FedEx or UPS, that's a false uh, entity that ought not uh, be adhered to. 
But 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 so when we talk about the mail-in ballots, though, I think I saw a number yesterday that over 76 million Americans have uh, either voted uh, early or have sent in their ballots. Uh, I'm concerned, and I'm wondering if the party is prepared uh, for the challenges that will come up in court uh, after November the third, because I'm of the belief that we're not going to have a declared winner on November the 3rd. I do believe that Trump will go out and declare victory. I believe that right now. I believe he'll do that if it's close. Um, but but I'm concerned about the court challenges, the fact that we now have a 6-3 uh, conservative majority in the Supreme Court. Uh, are we going to, as a party, be able to overcome that? Are we prepared to fight these challenges? I don't know. I really can't answer that question. I hope that we are. Uh, I hope that the, uh, the results on Tuesday are definitive enough uh, for him not to be able uh, to uh, declare victory. Now, that doesn't mean he won't stand before a camera and lie. Right. He'll do the same thing here the way he did. We are all looking at the TV. We all knew full well that he didn't have the largest inauguration uh, crowd in the history of the country. We knew. We were there, many of us, for Obama. We looked at the team. We didn't know so well he wasn't the largest. He said it, and they kept saying it. He had the staff saying it, and they never walked away from that lie. So he might be 10 down and be declaring on that day, that evening, uh, Tuesday evening, that um, uh, he's the winner. It might be 10 points down. So uh, being 10 points up on him won't stop him from lying. He says that the reason he lost the popular vote is because 3 billion uh, undocumented uh, voted for Hillary Clinton. That was a lie. Undocumented, you don't vote unless you're registered. And if you're undocumented, you don't register. That's just what this guy is. Well, I'd be remiss if I did not at least address the topic of of uh, race in the American society today. Uh, you're one who came through the civil rights movement, fought for our rights. Uh, you stood you stood with and beside legends like John Lewis, uh, and you're a legend yourself as relates to fighting for the rights of black people in this country. Uh, I've got to tell you, I'm 48 years old, Congressman, and I don't believe I've ever seen uh, the type of overt racism uh, in my lifetime that I've seen during the administration of this president. Now, you're one who lived through uh, Jim Crow and civil rights uh, and are now living through uh, what I would call this Trump uh, anomaly. Uh, can you compare and can you compare the two? And, 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 and do you believe that even if he's gone after November 3rd, that we can heal these deep wounds? Well, I do, if I answer the latter part of your question first, I do think we can uh, overcome this. Uh, but the comparison is really a contrast. And I say that because of this. Uh, I met my wife in jail. And on the evening uh, that I was bailed out, uh, after eating that half of hamburger that she brought me, uh, walking back to the campus that day, uh, we talked about what we were doing and whether or not it made sense. Uh, 
we felt strongly that we were going to be convicted at the local level. We knew that we were not going to uh, be going to be convicted of trespassing or something. But we also felt strongly that if our case got to the United States Supreme Court, that based upon that 9-0 decision in 1954, we felt certain that we would be vindicated by the United States Supreme Court. And we were. Today, that's not the case. What is going on today is a coordinated effort. You got a president who is doing racially motivated stuff, and you got a Supreme Court who will sustain what he's doing. They are demonstrating every day that they will uphold what he's doing. And that's why I have been sounding an alarm. I have been saying to people that this president does not plan to leave that office peacefully. He does not plan for there to be a peaceful transfer of power if he were to lose the office. And if he were to get reelected, he does not plan to adhere to the constitutional uh, norms that he can only serve two terms. This guy has already said, and some people say, oh, he's just joking. He doesn't know how to joke. No. When he says he's looking forward to the next term and one after that, then he means that. And I remind people that the people of Germany elected Adolf Hitler to be their uh, chancellor. They didn't elect him to be the dictator. They elected him to be the chancellor. And when he got into office, he immediately started to discredit the media. Sound familiar? Same tactics. He then subverted the churches. And they hung swastikas in all the churches throughout Germany. Sounds familiar? This man is replicating everything he learned from what Adolf Hitler did in uh, Germany and Mussolini did in Italy. And it's kind of interesting to me that I've seen several people uh, talking heads in the last couple of weeks referring to him as Mussolini. If you go back and look at CNN reports back in January 2018, I was on Don Lemon's show, and Don Lemon asked me, was I comparing uh, Trump to Hitler? And I said, no, Don. Putin is Hitler. But I do compare him to Mussolini. I said that two years ago, more than two years ago now. And it's bearing itself out to be true. Well, Congressman Congressman Clyburn, I, I want to thank you for joining us today. Uh, I want to end off with, 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 with just two points that I'd like you to share. One, uh, you've just talked about the fact that you don't believe there will be a peaceful transfer of power if he loses. Uh, and you've and you've compared You've compared Trump to to, to a dictator. Uh, I, I want you I want you to talk to our Philadelphia audience, most of whom are African American, and tell them why it is so important for them to make it to the polls on November the third. Every now and then we get an opportunity to course correct in this country. 
sometimes the country uh, seems to be drifting too far to the left, and voters intervene. And then the country uh, starts back right. And when the country is drifting too far to the right, as it is today, it will take the intervention of the voters to course correct. We must turn out in big numbers on Tuesday. We must win this election. If we don't, our children and our grandchildren will experience much of what our parents and grandparents experience. And that's just the fact. Just look at our history. I often tell people uh, I'm the ninth African-American to serve in Congress from South Carolina, which means there were eight before me. The problem is there was 95 years between number eight and number nine. When George Washington Murray left Congress in 1897, another African-American was elected from South Carolina until I was elected in 1992. That's 95 years later. Why? Because we had a Supreme Court and a succession of Supreme Courts starting in 1872 to start rendering opinions that rendered black people into second-class citizenships and it got ingrained in Plessy versus Ferguson in the 1890s. We now have a Supreme Court that's drifting in the same direction and we've got to arrest that growing cancer, the only way to do that is to vote this man out of office uh, on Tuesday. Well, Congressman Clyburn, uh, I want to thank you for the history that you've given us and your insight into current events. I want to end on a, a, a bit of a, a lighthearted note. Uh, you are a proud member of Omega Psi Phi Fraternity <laughs> Incorporated. I'm a proud member of Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated. Congressman, what is it going to feel like? Not only to have the first black woman as vice president, but to have a member of the Divine Nine as the vice president of the United States of America. Well, let me tell you something. I'm so glad you brought that up because, you know, uh, I'm very proud of all the members of the Pine Nine, and I've told everybody, I can't wait for Tuesday to get here and leave because I can go back to being on Omega after <laughs> Tuesday because until the polls close on Tuesday, I'm an AKA. That's right. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> Yes, sir. And, and listen, and they're not going to throw us out either. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's right. And I've already gotten uh, a text from Kamala uh, referring to me as uh, Sarah. <laughs> all right. Well, yeah. We, well, listen, we want Tuesday to come and go so you can go back to Omega. All right. Absolutely. Representative from the 6th District of South Carolina, the legendary Jim Clyburn, I want to thank you for coming into the pastor's office today. We appreciate you, sir. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. We pray that you've enjoyed the program today, but most importantly, we pray that you've been energized, that you've been motivated to go tell, as I like to say, Lottie Dottie and everybody 
to get to the polls on Tuesday. We've got to vote. We've got to vote. We've got to vote like our lives depended on it. People died for this right. Uh, People sacrificed so much for the right to vote. Billy's favor, we've got to get out there. And like I shared with you, I'm not asking you to go by yourself. We're going to be out there with you. So look for us at your polling location. Come on up. Get a cup of coffee. Come on up, get us some Philly's favorite swag. But most importantly, let's go to the polls together and bring change to this country. Now, let's all go to God in prayer because I know we're all looking for a miracle on Tuesday. I'll see you right back here. Same Holy Ghost time, same Holy Ghost place. Next Sunday, 2 p.m. right here in the pastor's office. <laughs>